0: Hello, everyone, welcome to the show. You're listening to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today is Saturday, the 12th of December, 2009. Hey, everybody, welcome back. On today's show, we'll start the series on how the courts work. And like I said before, this will come from my time in the juvenile court. If I sound a little off, or my voice voice sounds a little different, excuse me today. I'm on the tail end of a pretty bad cold that I had, uh, so my I may sound a little bit differently than I than I normally do. But what we're going to talk about is uh, this will be number one, I guess you could say, in the in the series about kind of how the courts work, how you get there, that type of thing. Uh, and this will come from my uh, time and my experience in the juvenile court. Also, late in my career there, I was uh, at a what was called a satellite office where we shared the building with adult probation. Uh, and in talking to those guys and just being around them, you sort of naturally pick up on the way that they do things. And there are differences in how things work in the juvenile court and the adult court. And I also had several friends that were uh, had been Uh, probation officers with me in the juvenile section and then later went into the adult and it's not like you could transfer kind of like going from you know one side to the other type deal it was a totally separate thing so they actually had to resign from the juvenile court and then be hired by the uh or the adult uh, probation services and on later shows in the series i'll go over more uh of these differences in a little bit more detail and as this is the first show about this subject, I'm sure there are some out there who are saying, well, what does this have to do with firearms? Or what does this have to do with Second Amendment issues? Why is this important to know how the courts work? If you or a family member ever had the terrible luck, the terrible misfortune of having to be in a situation in which you had to use your firearm in defense of yourself, family, or Uh, To even to try to stop someone whom you didn't know from being killed, you have, at a minimum, at the end of that encounter, a 50% chance of having to go to court. You've got a 100% chance of being charged, but you've got about a 50% chance of going to court. In some places, it may be a little less, a little more, depending on, there's so many other factors. And the reason why I say that's at least 50% is either you'll go or you won't. The person going through this may not be a family member or it may not be you. It may be a friend of yours. And hopefully this series will at least give you some knowledge of what can happen. And not only who will be involved in the court process, but who is in control once you're in court. The person who is in control once you go to court is not going to be you if you have some basic knowledge it can make that ordeal that you're going to go through and it's going to be an ordeal uh, a little bit less scary and a little bit less traumatic it's not going to be a lot but at least it'll be a little uh, because you'll have some knowledge and and things just won't be sort of dropping out of the sky on you so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do that and again I know things are going to be different in different states how things are going to go down in California is going to be way different than how things go down in Arizona, which is still going to be even different from Ohio or Nevada or New York uh, or Georgia. But the the general the general way that things work, this is going to be kind of like a good, a good uh, what they call like a primer on how things kind of work and how things can go. If you're ever in court, you won't just magically appear there. There's a process. And this begins with some level of interaction with the police. And for our discussion today, we'll refer to all law enforcement agencies as police. So the city cops, the state, the highway patrol, sheriff's office, border patrol, etc. All those people are going to fall under our umbrella and we're just going to refer to them as the police. So the police have arrested you. They're going to write a report and you may be released at that time. Uh, if you're a juvenile, uh, so someone who's under the age of 18, your parent or guardian will be contacted, and depending on the type of charge, you may be released to them. Uh, or in some cases, you may be spending a, a few hours up to a night in jail, or uh, what is sometimes called, instead of a jail, they'll call it a detention facility. After the arrest and the report has been written, by the police, you may be taken from the police station where you could have been for the last four hours to that jail or to that detention facility. And at that time, you will go through what they call an intake process. And this is an intake process for the jail. Now, this normally is the point where the police officers and you are going to part company. Uh, They've done their report and their paperwork, and they've been told by the intake people okay you're good to go uh, and now you are the jails or the detention facilities property and property you are at this point and I chose that word deliberately because those are the people they're the ones who will decide where and when you go uh, within that facility they're gonna decide who you're going to get to talk to, and more importantly, when you get to talk to someone. So if you wanted to call your attorney or do whatever, they're in charge of that, not you. They're going to be in charge of if you get fed, if you get a blanket, if you're cold, if you go to the bathroom. Now, depending on where you are in the intake process and what type of facility that you end up in, you may not be in a room with a toilet. It's usually in your best interest no matter what the situation that you found yourself in, to be polite and just follow the instructions of those intake people. These people see lots and lots of people come through all the time. They don't really have anything necessarily against you, but they don't want to deal with a lot of your crap. And if you think that you're going to go in there and throw your weight around, you're going to find out real quick who's really in charge of you. Now, so you've gone through all this stuff, and you still have not set foot in a courtroom, and at this point, you may not. And again, I'm not talking necessarily about, you know, for a shooting. I'm, I'm talking about just in general, if you if you have contact with the police. You may be released a little while later from that detention facility. Most people think that the police will decide if you go to court or not. And most people think that the police are the ones who decide whether you get released from jail or not. But this isn't true. Remember that police officer that we spoke of earlier. He dropped you off at the intake um, facility, so at the detention facility or at the jail. He was given the okay from those people that, all, that he's not needed there anymore, and he's gone. He's back out on the street, or he's finishing up other stuff like paperwork, Or maybe he's just finishing out his shift, and he's getting ready to go home. So then you may think, oh, well, then that intake person is the one who will decide if I go to court or not. And if I do go to court, that that person will set the time. And that's partially true. The way it worked in my day was that the intake people would set you or put you on the calendar for the next court hearings which in our case was called the detention review hearing. Uh, and Let's step back a little, and I'll, I'll take this from, again, my experience in the juvenile court. Once the police uh, had dropped you at the detention facility, and the facility then had custody of you, and they've decided that due to the nature of your charge that you can't be released. So you're being held for something like stealing a car and not for shoplifting, or maybe in the case of a juvenile, Something like a curfew citation, so you're out past curfew. You are, once they take custody of you, you are required to see a judge or make a court appearance within 24 hours. Um, The 24-hour clock does not start when the police got you, but from when you were transferred from police custody to the custody of the jail or detention facility. And the reason that this is done is so that you can't be held in uh, like a limbo status for two or three days or two or three weeks or for a year before you ever had any contact uh, with a judge or with the court. Uh, And I know um, adult court may be a little bit different, and again, this is something that we we did in in juvenile. Um, The intake people will automatically put you on the calendar for the next day's hearing. Um, I know some places have a night court. In our case, there was no night court in our juvenile system. Uh, You had a morning and uh, afternoon hearings. Uh, Now, having gone through all this, uh, it has still not been decided if you will go in front of a judge. Uh, The police uh, have done that report, and the report that the police officer did is sent to the Prosecutor's Office. and This office has uh, many different names. It can be called the District Attorney's Office, uh, the County Attorney's Office, the State's Attorney, uh, City Prosecutor, the Prosecutor's Office. Uh, they're all pretty much the same thing. Um, it just depends on who has jurisdiction on what it's going to be called. Uh, in my job, it was the County Attorney's Office who made the decisions. And they can decide one of several things once they get a police report. Uh, They are the people who will make the final decision on if the charge will be brought against you and if you will ever uh, appear in front of court. And I said that they can do one of several things. And some of those things are they can decide that the police report is strong and it contains all the info needed to go forward. And uh, so we're going to go ahead and and, uh, set a court date for you and and you'll go in front of the judge. Or they may send it back to the police uh, telling them it needs, uh, again, what was called in my day, further investigation. So they would F.I. it, uh, meaning that as the report is written, there's not enough to warrant going forward. And what that would mean is that the police need to get more witnesses or just a witness or they need to gather more evidence. Uh, that type of thing. Uh, they can also say that the cost of prosecution outweighs any benefit to society. And uh, let me give you an example of that. Let's say, uh, again, for in juvenile court, if you've got a kid who is uh, 17 years old and 11 months, and in two weeks he's going to be 18, so he will basically age out of the system because in, in our system in Arizona, once you turn 18 you are an adult, so the jurisdiction no longer has any, or excuse me, the juvenile court no longer has any jurisdiction over you, so they they lose out on jurisdiction, Um, meaning that it's not worth the cost and the money to go after that 17-year-old kid because he was out at 2 in the morning. Uh, because he's going to be 18 in two weeks anyway. So you would have to rush through all the courts and try and give him a conse- or give him a, a consequence like a fine, and then you'd have to hope that he paid the fine before he turned 18. Uh, so basically you just waste everybody's time. And what that really means is in those cases is that, you know, homie gets a pass. He gets to walk on that. Uh, it doesn't happen in cases where it's serious. So if you had that same kid, let's say, who was, Uh, 17 years old he's going to be 18 in two weeks and he stole a car he uh, broke into a house he assaulted somebody Um, and there were certain uh, crimes of a more serious nature where they're just automatically going to be transferred to adult and we can talk about that on later shows Uh, but that kid if he has done stuff like that, a lot of times what the county attorney's office will do when that initially comes through is they'll say, well, let's let's FI it, let's do it for further investigation. Even if everything was strong, what they'll do is they'll hold off and they'll wait and then they'll bring the charge against that kid once he's 18 because then they can go forward and move forward with it. Um, also, another thing that can happen, and this, this I'll kind of bring it down a little bit back to the Second Amendment world or, or uh, uh, people who, who would use a firearm for self-defense. There are, of course, different district attorneys and different laws in different states. And the district attorney that is in Arizona may be pro-gun. And the, the district attorney that the county that you live in, I, I guess, I, I let me clarify that a little bit better. Uh, let's say that I live in Maricopa County. And the district attorney there is really pro-gun. But a person who lives up north, let's say in Kingman that lives in, I think it's Mojave County, let's say he's real anti-gun. And so you have the same um, event goes down to where there was a shooting. Well, the guy in Maricopa may decide, look, there's, it was justifiable and may not try and do anything. The guy in Mojave County may say, well... I don't think this guy should have ever had a gun in the first place. So let's really take a look. Let's do some digging, and let's see if there's something that we can bring against him. Even though his charge technically was his his actions. Excuse me, were technically justified. Maybe there's something else we can get him on. Uh, and so those people may have different uh, motivations for doing something like that. They may be wanting to get their name in the paper. They may be, again, wanting to further their own agenda. Now, as a juvenile probation officer, and if, and if you would probably to ask most police officers and, and uh, most people that would be involved kind of on the court side of things, um, we tend to see the uh, prosecutor's office or, that again, the county attorney or the district attorney's office as part of being on, on the good guy's side because you're, they're usually going after a criminal. But if you're in court and you're facing uh, some charge... Uh, again, let's say it's that Mojave County guy who's kind of trying to build up a case against you. That guy is not the good guy anymore to you. He's he's on the opposite side. And on later shows uh, in the series, we'll talk about kind of the roles that the, that the prosecutor's office plays, the roles that the public defender's office play, and then a role that a, uh, what you would call a private uh, criminal attorney, uh, or a criminal defense attorney would play for you. Um, and just kind of as a, a quick aside a little bit, They uh, a lot of people tend to think that there's a lot of loopholes in the law and that the things are set up to help criminals, but this really isn't the case. The stuff is there to be able to help the person like you or me who is going to go through that court hearing uh, because they they were involved in a self-defense shooting then you need you need that big umbrella. You need that big shield of all those things, uh, and you need a person who is who is willing to come and defend you in court. Uh, so a lot of times people will say, you know, we should. Uh, there was four or five witnesses, and they they don't need to give that guy a trial or. Uh, we should just get rid of that and just send them straight up. Well, you don't ever want to get rid of due process. And we'll, again, we'll talk about that stuff later. But I've, I've also heard people say, you know, if there were 10 witnesses, why not just you know string the guy up right there? And again, you can't do that. You can't get rid of due process of law. Um, uh, the, the reality is is, a lot of those things that people see as loopholes, and as wiggle room for people to, for the criminals to get through, as, you know, set up for the criminals and not for the common guy. It really is set up for you and I as the common man. I kind of got off a little bit there on a tangent, so let's kind of bring it back. Again, that's, uh, the whole point of that is, that the county attorney's office or the district attorney's office or the prosecutor's office, whatever you want to call it, they are going to be the ones who are going to decide whether you're actually going to end up in court or actually be charged with any type of crime. So hopefully we understand that it's not just the the police arrest you and then the next day that you're in court. Um, it's, it's a process that you go through. There are several layers that you go through, several people that you go through before you ever set foot in court. So hopefully maybe that's cleared up some of that or or given you guys some information that you didn't know. I'll be continuing the series on the courts and how they work. I don't know how many it'll take. Probably I would think maybe at least another two, maybe three before I kind of get all the information conveyed that I'd like to uh, to get out to you guys. If you would like to contact me feel free to do so. You can do that at firearmscafe at gmail.com or you can go over to the forums and uh, leave me a message over there either on on one of the show threads. Um, If you wanted to do like a personal message or something like that, there is a way to do that on the forums, but it's usually best to just go ahead and send it to firearmscafe. I'll try and get back with you as quick as I can. Sometimes it takes me a few days, Um, you know, if I'm sick or if I'm just not near the computer or whatever, it may take me a couple of days to get back to you. But I will get back to you if you take the time to uh, write in. And I do appreciate any emails or notes that anybody drops or any comments that anybody makes over at the forum. I always get a big kick out of that. So I want to say thank you uh, to the guys and gals that do that. Also, I want to send out a uh, kind of a big shout-out to all our men and women in the armed services. And I don't do that on my show as often as I should but I'm always thinking about you guys and appreciate the fact that you're out there uh, in harm's way and that you uh, your actions allow me and people like me to uh, remain safe at home so thank you guys and gals for doing that Uh, you are appreciated you guys are paying a price uh, for which we can really never uh, adequately compensate you for so again thank you for your sacrifice that you're making on behalf of our country don't forget that the gun rights radio network has tons of other shows the network is constantly expanding there where uh, Mark is, is kind of working behind the scenes and and uh, most of the other podcasters are also working a little bit behind the scenes if we find a, a podcaster that we like or a show that we think will fit we try and invite those guys over uh, to the network to give you guys as listeners just more choices it's always good to have uh, different. Thoughts expressed in different opinions, and have people of different backgrounds, so you can get a more rounded approach. Uh, We do have two new um, podcasts that are currently, or I should say, have recently, excuse me, have recently joined the network. Uh, We've got um, Citizen Armed, and that is hosted by Spencer Bennett and then we've also got a new one called The Liberal Guncast and that is hosted by Max Parks and I've listened to both of them I like them I really like Max's broadcasting style and um, I think he brings a a different perspective and I think and I think because of certain of his uh political beliefs or leanings that he may be able to reach certain people that maybe uh I wouldn't. Uh, so it's always, like I said, it's always good to have different people on there. Um, I've talked about this on other shows that unless we're willing to accept and reach out to people who don't look exactly like us and don't believe every single thing that we believe that eventually gun culture and second amendment culture in this country will, will die. I'm sure many of you guys out there listen to the gun dudes podcast and, uh, On recent shows, they've talked about an injury that Carl sustained, and actually they've tried to play it off that it's a shoulder injury, and he had to have surgery on his arm. Uh, The reality is he had a pretty traumatic brain injury, and it really set him back. Uh, I was coincidentally happened to be up in Utah on some business and uh, convinced the company that I worked for that I could maybe use an assistant, and so I hired him. Uh, he was laid off you know pretty much immediately from uh, UPS. He still thinks he has a job there. Uh, and he uh, I think as he progresses, he may be able to get it back. And so one of the things that I did is I took my recorder up there with me and I wanted to uh, show UPS that you know that Carl could come back into the workforce and be able to work again for him. And so I made some recordings. Now, to his credit, the guy has made actually remarkable progress, but, the recordings that you are going to hear are, some, uh, are from some of his early days, uh, so you need to kind of cut the guy some slack. His voice sounded a little different, and uh, he was easily confused. And uh, An example of that is for some reason, I'm not sure why, anyway, he always called me Brian. So, uh, anyway, this will give you a uh, just a little example of, of the progress that Carl's made. What you're going to hear is just some random clips that we had when we were working at the office. Hey Brian! Knock knock! Who's there? (laughs) Brian, I think my jaw is falling off. Oh, I think you'll be okay. Why don't you go take a rest? Brian, I can't go to the bathroom by myself. Will you please help me? But I'm good at other stuff! Hi Brian! You got some stuff you want me to do for you? Brian, I didn't know if you wanted a God's eye, but I made you one. Uh, thanks. Did you wash my car like I asked you to? No, but I hit it with a rock. Well, that's something, I guess. What else did you do today? I sharpened a pencil in my bum and now I need a band-aid. Oh boy. Well, let's go back to the hospital.